Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have our friend, uh, czar of PC gaming for GamesBeat, Rowan Kaiser. Uh, did you know that czar and Kaiser come from the same word? I did know that, Rowan. That's uh, amazing. It's it's fantastic. It's one of those many pieces of trivia that I learned uh, over the course of my classic studies, which, believe me, have done nothing but pay my bills uh, ever since university. <laughs> uh, but Fraser Brown knows all about making a living off your classics degree. Uh, how, how are you, Fraser? <laughs> you know, I was just going to complain that I don't get fancy intros ever i've just got and it's freelance writer fraser brown and i do my hulu brand thing uh, but so i appreciate that that things are a bit different this time even if they're a little bit insulting <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm great thanks <laughs> that's good uh keep keep stri- keep striving fraser keep striving uh and finally we have joining us for the first time uh game developer and waypoint freelancer bruno diaz Hello, trying really hard not to break during this intro. You just, you know, you just have to sort of grip the armrests and just make it through uh, the intro. <laughs> just, just bite down. Uh, so on the lower lip. This week uh, we're going to be talking about Tooth and Tail, an RTS from Pocket Watch uh, Games, developer of a stealth adjacent. Uh, heist game called Monaco uh, from a few years ago, and we can maybe touch on that uh, in a moment. But Tooth and Tail is a bit of a curious little RTS uh, that breaks a lot of what I consider like conventions and, and rules of the genre, and also has an enticing and rather troubling storyline. <laughs> uh, that it has some interesting politics to it. It certainly it it. It suggests a lot of directions, and it goes a lot of places, uh, and there's never a moment at which I did not find myself uh, somewhat uncomfortable, but in maybe a good way, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Fraser, I thought we'll just start with you, since uh, I believe you're in the process of reviewing it uh, twice, no less, uh, <laughs> for, for PC Gamer. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit, why don't, why don't you practice your review here? Uh, why don't we just, you know, straight off, straight off the dome, uh, you can just sort of like dive into, hey, what's this game and why should we care about it? So it's like Animal Farm meets Redwall in that it's a bunch of adorable farm critters murdering each other in a brutal civil war that's, that kind of evokes the Russian Revolution uh, more than anything else, but its themes are generally just civil war, revolution, class warfare. Uh, ultimately, they're fighting over meat. Who gets to eat the meat? Who should be the meat? How do we sustain ourselves? Well, but okay, it's, it's- <laughs> we already need to pause. <laughs> we already need to dive in a little bit to the you know the game mechanics will hold. We will discuss a little bit real quickly. Why are these animals fighting over meat? <laughs> because, well, because they're hungry meat is a sort of privilege uh historically often it, it, in, in certain periods of time it's like meat is is quite a it's the the nobles and the monarchs they were the ones that had all the land that had and they had all the hunting rights and most people couldn't have a lovely steak they had to just eat shit um so there's, there's <laughs> sort of like privilege surrounding the idea of the consumption of meat but because these are animals we're talking about how, who eat each other, it becomes... Meat is also murder. It's, it's a little bit darker. Um, and it's honestly, the way it's kind of displayed in the game, it's really confusing because I don't think that there's like a theme or a message <laughs> that feels consistent throughout. Because there were points where I'm like, wait, so am I... Currently, because you play four different factions, I think four, mm-hmm. maybe five, um, and there were times where I'm like, am I playing the good guys who are like against eating meat? Are these guys vegetarians? And then I'm like, I don't mm. think they are. I think they just want to be able to pick other things to eat that are still meat. I, yeah. It's really, really this weird. Is, <laughs> this is real messed up. Uh, so the, the introduction, 
basically suggests that this society of animals, uh, which are generally like uh, omnivorous animals uh, in, in this world, there's some, there's some uh, carnivores, but like it's it's like squirrels and ferrets and uh, rats and stuff like that. You know, animals that could have a varied diet in, in the real world. Um, but in the introduction, it's kind of laid out that. The civilized who sort of end up being the, uh, the the civilized are sort of the rulers of the society and they are the people that... Pe- I think the civilized are like uh, stand-ins for the Orthodox Church. Definitely in terms of costume, right? The, like when they're, when they're yeah, shown. Yeah, they've got like the, the robes and the stoles and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's, it's the church, the secret police, the people, and the revolutionaries. It's like the proletarian revolutionaries, the bourgeois. Like, liberal bourgeoisie. Yeah, yeah the Bolsheviks the, and the, the secret Mensheviks. police, which, yeah, like the secret police, which is like weirdly costumey modeled after like uh, 1930s, 1940s Gestapo, Stasi, or uh, uh, SS uniforms, even though it, this is supposed to be about the Russian Revolution. Well, I think that's the thing. It, it's off. more, I think that that's the, the focus of it, but there are hints of lots of different revolutions and civil wars in there. I think that it's just the, the, the Russian one it is obviously, it ties quite neatly into things like Animal Farm uh, yeah. and the idea of a communist yeah. revolution, but there, there are hints of like revolutionary France in there, there are hints of revolutionary America in there. It's, but definitely the Russian connection is the, the most clear one. It's it's the strongest. Like the the society is apparently ruled by a tsarina. Yeah. Which, spoiler alert, gets assassinated. <laughs> so you've ruined it. Why well, we don't even need to do the rest of this podcast? <laughs> I, no I have one's ruined the, play it now. the delicately written plot <laughs> of this game. Um, yeah. You so, start by playing Fox Linen. <laughs> no, well, well, you don't though. Uh, you end up you you're sort of starting out. Um, Oh boy, what would be the you're sort of Rat Rousseau, uh, maybe? But no, um, look at him. He's he's clearly based off Lenin. He's got the glasses and the little beard. Yeah, but then his political leaning. Okay, so again, <laughs> the the weird thing about this game is it sets up what at first seemed to be some pretty clear political analogies. So like the civilized made it so that all the animals started to eat meat like you didn't eat what they call the food of beasts uh which is you know vegetables and grains and stuff like that that's for that's for lesser animals uncivilized animals uh like like swine uh we'll get to that again in in a minute oh yeah the swine Uh, but so all the animals start eating meat but that means that they are basically eating each other and the question in the society becomes who do, who decides who gets eaten? And the sort of catalyzing factor for your revolution, at least the, the faction you start with, uh, the uh, the blue coats, I think they're called. Long coats. Uh, the long and they coats. They do have blue coats, but they're called the long coats. <laughs> yeah, is that your revolutionary leader's uh, son was eaten. Uh, and he's like, <laughs> well, that's bullshit. And I'm going to start a revolution. But interestingly... At no point is he like, this is messed up. Like, the civilized, the rulers, have us all eating each other. No, no, no. He's like, yeah, eating meat is fantastic, and we're all cool with that. I just want to see it. I just want to be, make sure that me and my people are the ones choosing who gets eaten, uh, not the not the civilized, uh, not the not, not the church, uh, as it were. In fairness, and, isn't that quite appropriate though, given the subject matter? Because I think it would be really right, weird it's, it's if, very... if there were like good guys and bad guys, because we're talking about a revolution where everyone was awful. <laughs> it's like mm. so much. Like no side had their hands clean. And nobody was really being anything other than selfish and self-serving. Um, so I think that feels quite accurate. Or at least, I no, no, not accurate, authentic. Okay, okay let's, let's I mean, take a step back here uh, and, and get past just the story and combine it with the game mechanics here. Because I think that's what makes it a little weird. This is an RTS that is designed to be a very simple console playable RTS. You are playing as one character who rallies and moves troops around to where you are. That's basically your fundamental command here. It's designed to be a very simple, accessible game. Um, It's sort of along the lines of Pikmin and Little King's story, but there's a little bit more strategic 
decision making process um but anyway these are the sorts of games that are usually aimed at all audiences uh whereas this game immediately gets into some really fucking dark shit that i think as Fraser suggests, there is a reading of the Russian Revolution that suggests that this is an incredibly cynical but accurate vision of how power is distributed and so on. And it's about cute animals devouring each other and creating political systems where it's good for them to devour one another, which is somewhat at odds with the idea of the accessible all-ages RTS that you would normally categorize this as. I see. I completely disagree that it goes against that accessibility. Uh, for instance, what, like Animal Farm is something that's taught in school. Uh, that's where I first read Animal Farm. That's where we first hear about the Russian Revolution and the French Revolution and the American Revolution and all the bad shit that went along with those as well as the good. Uh, so I don't think if, if children can learn about this, I think it's quite accessible. And I would also argue that Little King's story has a, an undercurrent of darkness and weirdness about it. That is, it's not just happy fairy tale shenanigans. Okay, There's... first of all, Little King's story uses Nutcracker music, and that's fucked up. So I've never actually <laughs> played that deep into it because that shit actually makes me physically uncomfortable. Yeah, there is a dark undercurrent running through it, um, and I, I, I don't think necessarily darkness makes something less I, accessible I'm when saying... all of our fairy tales and folk tales are based around these things as well. I'm not saying darkness. I'm saying that this is really, really disgusting. It is challenging. It's not dark. Or, I mean, it is dark, but it is, it's not like, okay, there are, you know, bad monsters out there. It's that this everyone is, like if is Basil the monster. Basil in The Great Mouse Detective just started chowing down on another adorable creature like in the middle of the movie is like just aesthetically that's that's how it is reading you guys have like... seen watership down right i mean it, it feels like when we have like media about cute furry animals invariably it gets really fucking miserable um i i, I think that actually tooth and tail continues that it's not unusual it's actually that's almost one of the ways that it's conventional I would say it escalates it dramatically. Yeah. It goes a little further than, like, Animal Farm, as I remember the book, wasn't entirely about cannibalism. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't. Yeah. And can we talk about the swine for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. Like, the little piggies. The swine are just such a weird plot point in this game where there's apparently a whole underclass of pig people who both tend to the farms and grow grain. And then they eat the grain to fatten themselves up for the slaughter. And they're apparently, like, mainly okay with that. Well, like, whenever see the swine decide, we're going to rise up. And no, they're just fine. They're just, they, they don't care. So, and go on. If there's this underclass of meat-providing pigs in the society, why are the civilized going around snatching little baby rats from their cribs to eat them? Like, that just seems economically implausible. Uh, diversity, you know, you don't just want, <laughs> like, uh, some bacon. You maybe want a steak or a tiny mouse for a dessert. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, you, eat, you eat it like an ortolan? <laughs> oh, my exactly. God. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past uh, them either. I really so there is one scene. The, I will say... Uh, and we'll get to this in a little bit. I, I think one of my concerns about the game is that it polit its politics are kind of all over the map. Like it's a series of like weird ass vignettes uh, to an extent, but I feel like it doesn't necessarily add up to anything like a worldview necessarily, unless unless yeah, the, the nihilism is the worldview. Yeah, I think um, that's it. I don't know how far you got into the campaign, but like the campaign cycles of your points, right? Yeah. You. Uh, play each leader in turn. I did not make it as far as the, the presumed like civilized chapter, but it definitely seems that like the take here is you know as we know the Russian Revolution had four factions and they were all equally bad. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that necessarily works for me. It, I, I, I have. It, it's very sort of facile. Uh, view, but I think just the the other issue that I that I have here is that, um, 
Yeah, it's like it's it's a world where characters like sort of have a political consciousness, but literally nobody is ever going to voice the idea that like you know what if we just didn't fucking eat each other? Like what if, you know? It's it, it's uh it's the sort of dark like you know I don't know this dark fable of political power, right? Who decides who gets eaten, uh, who gets consumed uh, by by the ruling class, and and who is the ruling class? Uh, but it doesn't sort of point toward anything. It's just it's just sort of wallowing in it. But at the same time, there is some really witty and clever like writing and scenes. And one thing that um really is going to stick with me a little bit is there's a scene early in the game. Where um your character uh Bellafleed, but uh the Bellasage, the, I think. Yeah the yeah uh, the, the uh, Lunko leader. Yeah, who's like uh he's running sort of the most conservative uh revolutionary effort. Like he just wants to put the uh middle class and the, the, the bourgeoisie sort of in charge and give them political power. Uh and he's also like in it for revenge uh for his son who was eaten, who he describes as a mere morsel of a boy. Uh which is just <laughs> it just sends a little frisson of of like horror up my up my spine every time uh I, I hear that phrase. But there's the scene where he goes into the uh the room where the swine are kept. And the idea is that the swine are just kind of this, yeah, this this sort of unconscious underclass, don't have intelligence, like basically like everything that like people like would say about slaves, right, or or say about serfs. You know, they just they they they're lesser. They don't have the full range of humanity that that we have. Blah blah blah. So you go in there, and your character like clearly believes this, uh, it, like has that mindset, and he's like, huh, I don't know why the pigs requested a chess set in here. That's weird. Oh, well, you know, they must, they, they must like staring at it or something. Uh, and it's like really hilarious. He asks, he, he's talking to one of the swine. He's like, uh, swine four, one, three, do you have enough of this? Uh, and he just sort of looks at this like pile of like, hay, and he's like, uh, yellow grass to eat. Is this good for you and this one's like yeah it's great but i think the, the the brilliant thing is he goes up to a pig that's like staring at a painting on a wall and he's like oh uh why are you staring at this piece of art uh is it good for belly marbling <laughs> and the pig's just like yeah like i just like looking at it uh, and it's this, it's this creepy, like, you know, the, the pigs are clearly starting to develop culture and, and awareness and like, they have all these things and your rat character is just like, huh, weird. <laughs> Look at these dumb animals, uh, engaging with people stuff. Yeah. It's fucked yeah, up, I Rob. Mean, the thing that kind of strikes me about, about the whole animals eating animals thing is that it sort of positive is sort of posits a politics where there are necessarily losers, right? There has to be someone who's oppressed, which to me is like centrism.txt. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, uh, there's this necessity of an underclass that's implied in the politics of the whole thing and nobody questions it. Yeah, I, I, I don't... Mean, I, I kind of got the opposite. It, it felt to me that, like, this is a case of people who are just totally unable to see outside of their conception of how power is divided in society like they can't see that you know maybe this idea of the underclass is ruining them and maybe if they just actually ate the other food they'd be fine and none of this would have to happen which seems to me the opposite of a centrist point of view where centrism will not actually look at those sorts of things centrism just accepts the powers the way that it is there's um, Sorry, just to sort of uh, go like go along with that. Uh, there is an exchange that is interesting that you're having this perspective. Like the the game's political perspective is meta from all the characters. That like our care that our perspective with its revulsion and uh, feeling that this is deeply, deeply weird and disturbing is actually sort of the the text of the game, and that's that's its political values is that we can see what these these creatures can. But I think there is the, the game does sort of send up uh, some of your uh, more 
Panglossian bromides when it comes to uh, like you know political order. There's the scene where you're hanging out in um, the, uh, the 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 proletariat base the uh, with with Hopper, uh, who's like the the revolutionary leader for the for the lowest class uh, of animals. But there's the scene where these two characters are talking, and they're both sort of you know. It's, they're both aggrieved at the injustice of what the what the civilized have wrought, and one of them points out is like, you know, I mean, like, look around. This is, you know, this is poverty. Like, we're we're poor laborers. We're never going to be uh, people who can afford a lot of meat. We'll never be the people in a position to choose uh, who gets eaten. Um, it's always just going to be done to us. And this other character replies, "No, no, 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 no. You don't under you don't understand. Uh, you just haven't seen a free market work yet. Uh, the civilized that wasn't a true free market. But once the once the long coats have had their revolution, then you'll understand. Then it will be a free market, and all these problems will go away. And that did sort of like suggest to me that uh, this is a game that sort of." darkly conscious of a lot of the uh i don't know the uh the thin the shallowness of a lot of political discourse and uh ideology i think it's it's important to also can realize how what role food plays mechanically uh, as well because it's not just this narrative device it's also at the very core of the gameplay in that Every battle, every fight is really about this one resource because you only have it. You only have food and that's it. So it's not really about conquering the grist mills where, which that's basically like the heart of your base. Uh, grist mills are where you can construct farms where the swine then uh, get busy eating and getting slaughtered. Uh, and you can capture them all over the map. And these are the things everyone's fighting over. But if you have an objective like destroy the enemy, conquer their grist mills, whatever, you can just wait them out. You can because grist mill fields eventually become fallow. Uh, there, there's a limit to how much food you can actually generate, and this means that there's a limit to your your troops and your buildings as well, and it's a hard one. So it gets to the point near the end of a game, and it's important to remember that these games are about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes long. These are, you know, pick up if you've got a few minutes to kill. It's it's very, and it's very much just gets you into the action straight away. There's very little faffing around. But you can get to the end of it where it's not about who's killing who, but it's about who has enough food to keep going for the next minute. And if it's not you, you'll starve to death and you'll lose. Uh, I just think that's actually, they've, uh, Pocket Watch games have actually made a resource that feels important. It doesn't feel like some sort of currency stand-in. It's not just about limiting what you can do. You need this food or you're going to die. Uh, and it's almost, it's not a survival thing, but it feels adjacent to a sort of strategy survival game. Yeah, I think here's where we should start getting into a little more of the design of the game itself because I actually do like quite of the way quite a lot of the ways they've they've stripped it down. Um you know, as as we mentioned earlier, you control everything through your hero and I think the game even says like your hero is basically your cursor. Uh it, it literally says that in the tutorial. Yeah. yeah. And and like it's very literal in the sense that like the hero character is really just a cursor. Like you can't, they can't do anything. They don't have any abilities, any powers, any sort of attack. They just but they're fast. act as a roving point of view. There's there's scouts as well. Yeah, you don't have true. like a scouting unit. Yeah. Instead, you send yeah. your. They also act as your scout. But that's what, and I think that's quite cool because, especially in the start of the game, where you're um, opening up this map and getting rid of the fog of war, uh, you're in real danger because. One of the one thing that your commander can't do, so he can build and recruit. He can't. He or she cannot fight. Uh, if they're being attacked, there's only one thing they can do, and that's run away or burrow 
uh, to a base. They can kind of burrow underground and just pop up in a safe area. Um, Although, from what I can tell, like the the commander characters, they they have a decent health pool and they were generated pretty fast. Yeah, and also so you can really in danger. You can jump into the water. Unless you just like stand there in the middle of a. But here's the thing: if you die, and it's a very brief respawn time you respawn really quickly but then you've got to get back yeah. to the battle because all that time you're not there your little minions are just like on they're, they're not being controlled they're just killing whatever or fighting you know whatever is nearby so you're not able to like pull them back or tell them to go to specific places so there's a good chance your assault has completely failed if you die uh, so there is still you also function as a spotter. There are a lot of times where your your troops' uh, firing range is longer than their line of sight. So you can have them set up in a safe space, but they won't do anything. But if you move closer to the enemy base and maybe take some hits, your guys will be able to see the things and shoot them that they would not have been able to before without actually moving, which I think is a, a pretty neat little risk-reward uh mechanic or setup or however you want to frame it. And it makes the game feel like simple, but there's hidden depth to everything, I think. Right. So that it's, yeah, it's just a cursor, but it's a cursor that can do a heck of a lot, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, a pretty elegant, nice solution to making it playable on consoles, making it, you know, something that can translate to that kind of control scheme without being too uh, weird. I think it's important to note that it's not just a, a console game. It's it's a game that you can play on PC and you can play it on your couch. And oh it's, no, absolutely, it's yeah. on PC. And and like the mouse and keyboard controls are fine. It's not like uncomfortable to play like that. Yeah, they're they're pretty good. It uses uh, WASD controls, and uh, I, I will say like if you've played Monaco, one of the things I did like about that game, even if it didn't, it wasn't the kind of like stealth game uh, that I wanted it to be. And it was just a mismatch of expectations and, and what Pocket Watch were delivering uh, in the case of that game. But uh, they're very good at creating like really fast-paced, kinetic-feeling games that feel really good and responsive and like just sort of pleasurable to play. And I think that is the case here. Like at no point did I, I was worried that I would feel really, really limited uh, by the fact that I was I was basically pinned to this one character, and I couldn't do any of the stuff I'm used to doing in an RTS. But your character like basically flies uh, around the screen, and if you sort of get good at like switching between, um, you don't have control groups, but you can control different unit types. So like all your cannon fodder guys will be on uh, on group one. And so you can like maneuver them separately from your artillery guys and, and put them further back. They're all going to be responding to where you are running and signaling. Uh, but it, it does give you sort of a lot of flexibility in, in how your army maneuvers. And, uh, and then you're sort of playing spotter uh, amidst all that as well. And I think if, I think this I think it would suck if this if they had not gotten if they had not so well tuned the way all this feels the way your character sort of like snaps uh, in in response uh, to to your keyboard commands uh, it feels a little bit like RTS as old school arcade shooter uh, is is almost the only way I can describe it yeah it's almost like a top down shooter yeah I feel we're just sort of moving around it's very frantic kind of like that. Which is kind of one of my problems with this game because I don't play RTSs to to feel anxious and to experience the sort of franticness of ten things are happening at once and I don't know what I'm supposed to be taking care of next. Um, Wait, is that this the only reason to play into that? And, and no, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> Wait, not yeah, sure why, I'm, I'm not sure why this doesn't capture that, like, as, as, or doesn't make you feel no, really it, good. It absolutely because captures that, but it's sorry, no, that's, um, what what I meant is that this doesn't. This doesn't have that sort of uh, stressful APM feeling because, like, for instance, uh, if you are being attacked, if your base is being attacked in StarCraft or whatever or any other game, this might be a feint. There might be something else somewhere on the map where they're also attacking. But ultimately, right. because a commander can only uh, do things within their vicinity, or units can only kind of attack within the vicinity of their commander, then you know if someone's attacking you, they're not doing something somewhere else on the map. 
You, you only ever have to focus on one thing at a time because there's never anything else happening unless you're playing in a match with more players. But in that case, yeah, you've got the ally yeah. that can deal with that. I think the campaign actually kind of undermines that at times because there are campaign, uh, I don't know how far you got into that, but there are campaign maps where uh, enemies would just spawn all across the map. And so yeah, you're they've just got like running. some defensive games, don't you, where like, yeah, you have to and defend are, a point. There are yeah. a bunch of like campaign maps where the game would just simply spawn uh, a burrow that makes enemies somewhere on the map uh, pretty much arbitrarily. I don't think there's even a, a command character for the other side in play. And so you just sort of are running around, putting out fires. Well, huh. One interesting thing is that the uh, the maps are randomized. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, even even I in the campaign a, mode, which I, which is yeah. interesting. I was doing a level last night where it's one where you don't actually have a base, or you have a base, you don't actually have like a food production. You have to go and steal uh, a bunch of food, and. Like some of the times that was just impossible to actually do, so I ended up reloading it like ten times, probably. Um, yeah, I had that experience too. Like some of the map scripts are don't feel like they're very balanced. Like sometimes you get a really good map, and sometimes you get a really I, bad map. I had one where I had to go to like eight different locations and liberate prisoners, and so like there's a prison camp in uh, different parts of this map, and for the most part it was fine. You attack each prison camp, it's all good. There was one prison camp that was basically walled off from the rest of the map, and it took me like ten minutes to locate how I could get up in there because like it had like sheer cliffs on multiple sides and then impassable forest uh, pretty far into the map. And it turned out there was like a one character width wide, uh, like hallway uh, that made multiple little turns that sort of switchbacked uh, like through the map and up toward this prison camp. And it took me like just a lot of basically, um, I don't know, you know how like you used to play like Wolfenstein or something where you're just like pressing on every wall, seeing if there's if there's a door there. Yeah. Uh that's kind of how I ended up beating this mission. I was like, uh boy, like there's gotta be a hole in these trees somewhere, right? Uh and eventually I found one. Uh but yeah, like there are definitely times where for the most part, I think it does it does a fine job with uh map generation. I think it's I think it's cool, it changes up some of the missions. There's there's occasional moments where you're like Okay, yeah, this is not a this is not like an invisible ink grade uh, random map generator. This is this is clearly like a machine did this and maybe didn't look too hard at the result. I mean, I think this is more of a of a problem in the campaign where like obviously it's a map script that gets used for exactly one stage of the campaign and yeah. presumably it doesn't have to hold up to like repeated plays like the uh, the skirmish maps do. One of the, the funniest fights I had in the campaign was this uh, the, this fight that was giving me a bit of trouble. It was one of the, you can't build anything you've got. There are a few where you have to like rescue people, or you can rescue people. And I was just really struggling because by the time like I'd sort of built up my army, there was all these things where they're like bouncing against barbed wire and dying or getting taken out by artillery and dying. And it just became a bit frustrating. I reloaded, started a new map, and the ultimate objective of this wasn't to free your people, it was to destroy the enemy gristmill. Um, but when I'd been playing before, that gristmill was miles away, and it was well defended by the time I got there, so I needed those armies. Second time I tried it, <laughs> I, uh, I find myself basically spawning right next to the enemy gristmill. And you start off with a sort of wow. basic army, and I just stormed it and i finished that match in about 30 seconds and it gave yeah, me so many problems like, you bounce back really fast in this game like if you lose resources uh, your units regenerate health in your territory if you come if you bring them back and out of combat and as a result like i had a game last night because i was playing this game to sort of jog my memory i it was just this, it was one of the campaign matches, and like my grist mill was basically one screen away from the opposing grist mill, and it just turned into this horrible slog for several minutes of fighting over this one patch of ground. Like I would advance, I would attack the grist mill, I would take out a couple of farms, I would take too much damage from static defenses, I would retreat, I would recover my forces, I would go back, and like the exact same battle would repeat over and over again because I had recovered what I had, and the opponent also had recovered what they had. 
I do think that these sorts of things where it starts to feel like a slog are they're not that common, but I think the they're real not... it's 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 the real benefit of this being a very fast, quick game because at most you're going to be having five minutes that you're not really enjoying that much. Uh, and if it's a, if it, this happens more in the campaign than it does in, in multiplayer, because um, there are far more like distinct objectives. But you know that if it's shit, you can just reload and you're only, you've only wasted like five, 10 minutes or something. It's not really a big problem. I think this sums up one of the real, uh, the really positive things about about Tooth and Tail is that a lot of the things it does would just it it would be shit in a standard traditional RTS. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't make it fun. But they have uh, Pocket Watch have genuinely built this around a controller. It's not uh, an obstacle that they have tried to overcome. In that, okay, we're trying to design this RTS for a controller. There are all these problems with it. How are these? things that we can actually defeat um, and hammer into a shape that's entertaining. They don't need to do that because, I, well, actually, we've built it around a controller. It works perfectly with a controller. Um, and so a lot of the, the pace and the stripped-down elements, they wouldn't feel great in StarCraft, but they feel brilliant in Tooth & Tail. It just feels really good. Um, and I think that's... I think it's also one obstacle when it comes to like recommending it because a lot of the things left on their own seem a bit shit. Maybe not something you'd want from an RTS, but it really does work here. It's fine. Uh, and that's just, it's very unusual. It's quite novel. I think this game, like the, the time scale of it also really changes the way it's designed. Because like to make it work in a, as a 10 minute game, Obviously, the economy is super simplified. There's no real buildup of anything. There's no real like phases to the game. Uh, there's no upgrading. There's no, uh, which kind of is one of the problems I had with this game because there's no real commitment that you make in this game. You don't have to. If you decide to make one type of unit, you don't commit to it. You can even sell the unit production building back up and build something else in place of it. So you can pivot very quickly between different strategies. Well yeah, I Which, mean, but isn't that you know. isn't that partly a byproduct of, um, you know, kind of what Fraser was talking about earlier with the fact that like your grist mills don't have inexhaustible growing capacity, like that you're you're really on the clock when it comes to uh, how long you're going to even have an income stream, a resource stream from any one site. Uh, it'll it'll eventually exhaust, and I guess to me like. I, I see what you're saying because, like, it, it's not like a a StarCraft style RTS or, or a lot of other RTSs where, like, you're committing to like these sort of strategic level decisions about the kind of army composition you're creating and to transition out of that build uh, requires a huge investment of resources and time. This this game happens on such a compressed time scale that, to a degree, yeah, there's just uh, no that space doesn't happen. But at the same time, though, it, it, it kind of actually just cuts out all that beginning stuff, right? The, the the commitment is this game has such a short horizon that like this is your strategy that you're trying for this game now maybe that does sort of eliminate how much you can do uh, like some scouting and, and recon games to figure out what your opponent's your, your opponent's composition is going to be but on the other hand it does sort of make it that any decision you make now uh, basically means that like you know the clock on how long you have before you exhaust your uh, your grain fields and and are basically running an economy with no further income. Uh, that clock is always running, and so all these decisions, I think, to me, felt like once I realized how quickly uh, the music stopped in terms of the economy, it did kind of make it feel like there were no really small decisions and there weren't a lot of takebacks uh, in this game. At least that's how, that's how it at least read to me. I think there are moment to moment decisions. So, well, firstly, there's the, the one big decision that you have to make at the start of a, a match. So in the, in the campaign, you're just given uh, a loadout of units that you can generate, but in multiplayer and skirmishes, you can pick uh, from what is a very diverse roster of really great units, actually. They, they're, uh, they're especially surprisingly... Because they only have one ability. Like, if you There's summon no, like, some... redundant unit in this game. Everything no. has one role specific, and it's not 
reproduced by anything. It's it's very tight and well constructed. It's so like in other games you might get like, oh, this this infantry unit's kind of cool, but it has like a shit secondary ability. I don't really know if I want to waste resources on it. But in this, they, they just generally have one ability that defines their role and it's really clear and it's always like handy, whether it's like stealthy chameleons or pigeons that could only heal, but they're healing from above. So they only have to worry about anti-air units. Um, and so at the beginning of each match, you have to decide, okay, here's this loadout, here's how all these units complement each other. Um, but there's always this kind of really great moment of indecision because you're like, well, what is my opponent going to bring with them? Because it's a really robust selection of, of animals and that can really determine the strategy they use. Uh, and so a lot, of, and a lot of these things are emphasized by the moment-to-moment -moment decisions, like how do you assault a base? Um, so you have to look at what units you can field at that moment. You know, what warrens that you have already constructed that are generating these, these troops and see how you approach each obstacle. Uh, so it, you, it might be determined like how many long range units do you have? Like ferrets, for instance, are, are sort of a, a basic artillery unit in that they can just lob their projectiles over quite a long range and stay out of the fray. Uh, but the moment they get into a base, they can be wiped out really, really quickly. Um, so I think there are, there are ways to change your tactics. There are meaty decisions that you have to make at the start of the game <laughs> and I, I, I did that on purpose. Sorry, <laughs> it was a bit too much. <laughs> Uh, there are these decisions you have to make at the start of the game and then moment-to-moment -moment ones for a variety of different obstacles within each match, even though they're only like 10, 15 minutes long. I mean, one thing about the, the units in this game is that like, the unit countering that, has, that exists in this game is just really overwhelming. Like, some units straight up cannot attack certain other units can, or are just completely going to be cut down. Um, which, again, it fits with the, the, the timing of the matches, the way everything has to snowball really quickly, the way everything has to happen quickly and be clear very quickly. But it does mean that sometimes you get into situations where battles feel like they're just going to be a massacre, right? And one thing that I kind, of, that kind of worry about this game, like as a competitive game, is that it could get really, really metagamey trying to figure out what army compositions are supposed to be in a way that almost resembles like a trading card game. Yeah, there's definitely some, some risk versus reward discussions that I've had in my head. Um, for instance, I think the fox is a great example of a difficult unit to pick. So when you, uh, the fox is a, is a badass sniper unit and it is really powerful, but you just get like, it takes quite, it's quite expensive to build the warrens, and one warren supports like a very small number of foxes. Um, I think just so one. I think it is just one. So the chance if you've it got a warren, if you've got a fox hole, <laughs> then you just have one, and you've just spent maybe like 180 food to build this, and they generate build quite slowly as like well. Another 60 to generate so, the fox? Yeah, so if That's you. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so if you are like, okay, I need this long-range sniper unit, this is going to be a bit of a game-changer. If that's dead, that has just cost you so much. Now, the warren is still around, so then it'll cost you another 60 food to generate that other fox. And all the time that it takes as well, as your like food stores are getting lower and lower. And it's like a really tense decision. So, well, I don't have to think about this if I don't pick the fox. But the fox is so handy. Um, and it's, uh, the campaign actually sort of teaches you this because it makes the, in, in certain uh, missions, it makes the fox like a sort of compulsory, almost compulsory unit and that you, you're really going to struggle without it. But it also teaches you just how uh, fleeting it is. Uh, and I, I find these, these sorts of problems quite your, compelling. Your fox is fleeting? <laughs> <laughs> wow. God damn it. Uh, yeah, and like Cut their mics. Tears <laughs> there's like three tiers of units there's like the, the cannon fodder guys that are super cheap and they generate in groups of three little squirrels there's, yeah the squirrels and the lizards and I think the snakes maybe uh, there's no, the like snakes the, are the mid tier yeah because they the poison things they, they poison stuff don't oh, they oh I see 
there's like the mid-tier guys, like the ferrets that generate in groups of two, and then there's like the the quote-unquote hero units that generate just one unit are super expensive. Yeah, like foxes, and, uh, owls, and wolves. There's like, a, but and they often play like the 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 wolves, for instance, play a sort of support role uh, as well. Um, so there, there, there's like a really distinct roster. Um, it's actually there is a lot to pick from, and it's hard to say. Well, this is a unit that I would never want to use. There's always a reason yeah. to use one of them. Yeah, it's actually a little bewildering. Like the first time I played a skirmish, um, the campaign does not. It, it doesn't like hurry to show all the units and everything that can happen in a game. So I, my opponent was just using some unit that I had never seen before and I had no idea how to counter it or how to even work around it. And what they did, it was like the balloon sniper. I don't know if you've seen those guys. What they did was just start the matches, just rushed right next to my starting base and just planted those defenses next to it and I was just destroyed. Like I, I had no chance and... I don't know if this game doesn't have like uh, much in the way of matchmaking, or if it's just because there's like not a lot of people playing it right now. But it definitely felt like ugh, I don't want to like try random matches to try and find one where it's at my skill level at this point where I'm at this game. I definitely recommend playing through like the entirety of the campaign because that's really the only way you get to practice with these units by, before going into these kind of co-op or. Uh, online skirmishes because uh, each each faction has their own unit composition however in multiplayer you can field whatever you want uh, your choice of, of leader unit is is really it doesn't matter it's just who you think seems kind of cool uh, and ultimately you can so it, you could be playing as the long coats who like their little squirrels and mice and things like that uh, but still fielding reptiles and serpents uh, so it, it can, you can find some really surprising mixtures uh, online and playing other other humans. So it, it's definitely better to, yeah, to keep a, the like, trading wheels on. Another thing is that this game was like in an open beta for like a year. Mm, yeah. If I recall correctly. And so there's definitely people playing online who have been playing this game for way longer than it's been officially out. So there's definitely like a living, like evolved metagame out there. So, Rowan, where are you at with uh, in terms of this as RTS? I heard you when when Bruno was talking a little bit earlier about uh, how this can feel a little bit uh, frantic, uh, as I understand it. Um, I think the intent here is to eliminate how overwhelming RTSs can feel to a lot of people. Like, do you think they succeeded in preserving the you know pace and charm of the RTS? while also introducing maybe a little more simplicity and accessibility? So several years ago, the AV Club did this feature called Sabat Gamer before every game was under $10, but this was a collection of all the hot new games that were under $10, and we'd review them real quick. Uh, and one of the games I got, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like this incredibly stripped-down RTS-style thing where basically it was... You had control of planets or stars, and each star would sort of automatically spawn a certain amount of dots. And your main method of control was you clicked when you thought you had enough dots to take over an enemy dot or an enemy star, and then you would get slightly more dots. And uh, basically what it was is it stripped the entire RTS down to the decision of go or no-go. And this game isn't quite like that, but that's the sort of thing that I like to see the attempt made with, because like StarCraft II with its, you know, 20 different units that all have different, that all counter different units for every other faction or whatever, uh, just on everything, every, on every, uh, every new game you want to try to deal with is just not something that I'm interested in bothering to learn, whereas this one strips things down enough to get to the point where it's like, are you going or not going? Um, and there's a little bit more economy. There's a little bit more like, when do I start building my army versus when do I build my infrastructure? Uh, do I spend my 60 food to build another farm or do I spend it to start producing my squirrels or my uh, uh, little insect dudes, I think, or the tiny squigs? I don't know. Uh, yeah. 
it, this is the game where like the the guns and butter question never really goes away. You yeah. can never really have that economy that if you no, it's sustainable to keep growing the economy at the max rate and to build an army. You're you're always having to pick and choose between each one moment to moment. So I I do like that about it. I think that it gets the sort of core questions. Um but I have only played through the campaign and a lot of those campaign missions are they're well designed in terms of giving you like different verbs to engage with in that one mission. You're tr- not trying to do exactly the same thing each time, but you know, sometimes it's hard to tell exactly what the uh whether the core strategic decisions that are being made even if they are super fast, are actually doing well, going well. I don't know. I think this game has a little bit of a feedback problem for me um, in a lot of senses. Like, it's really difficult for me to tell whether I'm winning a match or not, uh, whether it was worth it to go and do this raid on a gristmill that I didn't manage to take, but, like, I killed two farms, and to know whether that exchange was worth it or whether just the time that I had to walk back my army to heal it uh, made it not worth it for me to do that. Um, just like visually, this game, for me at least, it gets kind of confusing. Like the graphics can be really indistinct, and there's some levels in the campaign where it would just put, uh, it's a night mission, so it just put a dark filter on everything. <laughs> and I've definitely had battles where, like, maybe I'm getting blind in my old age, but I just can't tell what's going on, uh, like at the micro scale. Well, because uh, the way the economy is sort of automatic, um, where you have the farms who are consistently churning out meat, and uh, you're, as soon as you start losing troops, then your buildings will keep, start putting them back out again. Um, I don't think there's that much of a that much of an issue a lot of the time if you get in a skirmish that doesn't necessarily lead to huge results, uh, which. I like like you can you can sort of poke and prod and maybe that'll be a bad idea and maybe it won't be at some point later but uh you you have the ability to bounce back pretty quickly which I think is a good thing um and the, yeah, I think a lot of my no go ahead the way that the way that the farms go fallow you have a kind of you know that you have a sort of timer where it's like, oh, I need to, I need to take another grist mill now. This is, this is, you know, this is the point where I need to go all in. I can't, uh, can't just kind of poke. Uh, so I think that all functions as like what I would expect a game that's intended to have like the RTS decision making process in ten fifteen minutes should be like so i think it is effective at that level i'm just not sure that that's a process that i really want to spend a huge amount of time with it might be a little bit too fast paced that to the point where it's like once i finish the campaign i don't know if i'll ever go online uh it's quite a different feel i would definitely recommend it it's um i mean all the things that you're taught in the campaign are gonna continue to be incredibly helpful um but actually i find the uh the online to be a little bit more focused, a little bit more aggressive. And I also think that the campaign AI does its job, but it's not like clever or conniving. You never see it trying to like starve you out, uh, even though you can do that to them. Um, I, I kind of feel that it's, yeah, it does its job, but it's super simple. So having a, a, a mean human fighting against you is, is obviously a very different experience. Uh, and I think the actual like, the one thing that you miss out on the campaign is the ability to create these distinct loadouts and actually experiment with lots of different tactics. Uh, and you're free to free to do that as much as you want uh, after you've, or even while you're doing the campaign, if you want to play some online matches. So it's 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 not the sort of thing that I think people will bounce off just after they finish the campaign. But I, I I'm I'm still not too sure, given its simplicity. Uh, how much longevity it will have. Though given the the skill levels of some of the people playing it, um, that suggests that there actually might be quite a lot to it. Yeah. I think that part of my problem with this game is that the RTS that I have played the most of by far is Age of Empires 2, which is on the far, far other end of the scale, right? Like by RTS standards, it's a languid game. Where things are relatively slow, there's a lot of build-up, uh, economy the economy in that game grows to be enormous and is this huge machine that you have to tend to uh constantly 
which can churn out gigantic armies. And to go from that to like the most small scale down, stripped down version of this kind of gameplay that is still it, uh, is very jarring for me. To me, it feels a little bit like uh, like a shot glass full of soup. I like I don't <laughs> I may or may not enjoy this, but the portion size is so small that I can't tell. <laughs> that's uh, that's a good that's a good analogy. I think at least where I'm coming down with this game is like it's fine for the game to exist at this scale. Like I'm, I'm happy that this is here. I think where I have taken the most interest in it, uh, as you might tell from where this conversation sort of began and, and how we let off the show. Um, I think it's just an interesting story. Uh, and it's using its RTS mechanics to advance just kind of a really gorgeous looking and well-written and, troubling in a really in some really good ways i guess uh 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 story and to me like the the multiplayer isn't really the main attraction like i'll, I'll you know i'll probably play with it a few more times uh after the show but you know if i the the rts's that i'm into these days the most uh you know it's probably still company of heroes uh 2 and you know maybe steel division uh, if if I'm feeling that hankering, but like I'm, I didn't come to Tooth and Tail, being like, man, I need a competitive RTS uh, that fits this more accessible bill. Um, that's just not what I was looking. It, it, it's not it's not a huge uh, box. It's, it's not an important box that I need checked. We well, have Tooth Homeworld and- for that. <laughs> uh, you know where? I don't know that I agree with that characterization of Homeworld. Uh, really? By the way, eh. I th- you guys really, really like that multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. Well, what Desert Sukarak? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> should we play again, Rob, and see if I've gotten any better? <laughs> yes, <laughs> we I should. Won, like, what well, we played like eight matches, and I won one of them. <laughs> you, uh, you, you struggled mightily with, um, uh, with with Homeworld Deserts of uh, Deserts of Karak. Uh, yeah, that's big for time sure. in multiplayer. I just think you're better than me, Rob. That's what it is. <laughs> well, I don't know. The, the one game where you made it out of the early game, you uh, you ended up serving me my head on the plate. So that was that was well I got, done. I got that. I got very sneaky there. I remember that one because it's the only one I won. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, like uh, you know, I guess where I'm where I'm at with this is like, for me, this is not. I, I'm not approaching this as like, ah, does this compete with the other RTSs I'm into? I'm coming to this with the, oh, here's an RTS about a theme that I'm kind of into. And yeah, the theme is keeping me up at night. Uh, but that's kind of <laughs> cool too. So I guess I'm down with it. Uh, you mentioned the art, and I think, or that it was good looking, and I think the art deserves a specific praise uh, because this is really good pixel art. All the little animals move so smoothly, and they look so horrific when they're slaughtering all of you. Like this is <laughs> it's this is just top tier stuff to watch. I think it's all highly animated and lively as well. It's always yeah. it's a, everything's kind of moving and kinetic. Uh, yeah, it, it feels like uh, like all the best pixel art games that pixel art was chosen. Rather, uh, and not just for the sake of of nostalgia. Uh, it actually works here. There, it's not like let's make the game look old. It's like let's make the game look really good with pixel art. Yeah, it's it's little... got the sort of um, abstractness with the pixels, but also the cuteness. Like that's that's really necessary for making the game seem extra horrifying. <laughs> I think the little uh, illustrations that it uses. All over the UI are just lovely too. They're just yes. they're just very, very well done. They really capture the unit, this sort of cartoon aesthetic. The unit portraits I think do a really good job because the pixel art is great, uh, especially seeing it in motion. But then also like the uh static, uh more like uh you know, painted looking unit portraits that you see uh between missions and in splash screens, uh also do communicate a great deal about like, oh yeah, this is definitely like um well, sort of what I, you know, what I returned to earlier, uh, Great Mouse Detective, uh, Doctor Zhivago, I guess is, is the way I put it, uh, and that's and that's kind of how it reads. Uh, so yeah, I think the the art is really first rate here. 
music's good too. I think you could strip all of that, the, the excellent presentation, the, um, the interesting story. Uh, I think we could all agree that it doesn't always work and it can be occasionally muddled, but I think it's still one that I enjoyed following. Or Okay, enjoyed is definitely the wrong word. <laughs> Sometimes it's fun to, to have someone mess with your head. Yeah, uh, and, and I think some of the characters that. you meet are actually like quite lovely as well. Um, it, it, there's still even amongst all the grit and darkness and blood, there's there's some kind of lightheartedness and playfulness that I appreciated. Uh, but it's not necessary. I think that the game would still be really strong without all of that. It draws you in, and it's a sort of unique hook. But I don't think it's nearly as interesting as as how they have constructed this game that works so well with the controller there are very few moments and there were occasional ones but i think it's more just because i'm so used to playing with a mouse and keyboard uh, uh where i was like i want to be able to split like and this is something i kind of I, i've added i put in my review where i want to split the ferrets up maybe so they can come at a, a base at different or different directions uh but you're really you're you're only at, at the minimum you can control is one whole class. Uh, you, it, it's not something that really gets you to be precise or even needs it. So sometimes like, I wish I could do that, but actually I never need to. Uh, if I want another group to come in from a different direction, I have several other options that will be just as helpful. Uh, and so yeah, I think that's the achievement. Uh, I think even without the art, I think people would still be quite impressed by what they've they've done. All right, uh, I think we will we will leave it there uh, for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced as always by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode of the community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twittercom ma. Uh, finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreoncom ma. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Uh, until then, for Fraser, Rowan, and Bruno, this is Rob Zachney saying good night. <laughs>